Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast, Modern Tales of an Ancient Pursuit. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. We could talk about happiness. We could talk about self-discipline. We could talk about self-control. We could talk about temptation. We could talk about anxiety. We could talk about all of those things. Why don't we? Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm your host here, coming to you from Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. Hope all is well with you. Thanks for clicking play. Prompted by an article that was entitled Finances Aside, What Does a Happy Retirement Look Like? I think it was done over at Kiplinger. I think. Not positive. The article describes a man who, you know, was a financial planner and his client was, was not retiring, but was working toward it and planning for it and had asked him, can you give me some examples of people who are happy in retirement? Now, when you get to be my age, the internet knows everything about you. Well, it, it knows everything about you, no matter what your age is. But I get all kinds of stuff in my feed, whether I want it or not. Uh, do you ever go in and hide ads, whether they're in Facebook or just anywhere in Google? I mean, you know you can do that, right? It doesn't seem to have any impact. I keep, I keep seeing things, and I'm like, okay, I know I jettisoned that ad. I know I've jettisoned that ad, that company multiple times, and yet they continue to show up in my feed. Wouldn't you think that somebody who went out of their way to click on the things that are necessary so that you can avoid seeing this ad, wouldn't you think that the algorithms would show that company, you know, this person's probably not interested in your stuff might not be a wise expense to show them your ad for uh, the hundredth time, especially if they've gone to the trouble to say, I'm not interested or no, this isn't relevant to me. I have no idea what it would be like if you clicked on the thing, uh, hide it because I've already purchased it. Have you seen that option? I know that option exists over at Facebook. No, I've never done that. It's kind of fascinating how many, how many things that we we do that likely reveal even more. So I kind of stopped doing the whole hiding ad thing because I thought, okay, all I'm doing, I'm just feeding the beast. Maybe I'm just better off just playing along and ignoring it, which is what I've started to do. But I get a ton of content not just ads, but I get a ton of content that has to do with life at this stage of, of my life at this age, typically retirement kind of age. So a ton of Medicare, a ton of, uh, insurance things, which that's kind of fascinating to me. I have zero life insurance. Now, 
let's qualify this. No, I'm not independently wealthy. However, I'm not going to pay. I'm not going to pay money for life insurance. I'm, I'm past raising kids. I'm past trying to get out of debt. I'm, I'm, I'm past those big kind of things. Uh, yeah, not going to happen. Not going to happen. Uh, but I continue to see the ads and I don't do anything about it. So I get all these articles and about two days ago, there was one and, and they're all kind of the same. They all just kind of regurgitate the same stuff, <laughs> but it's intriguing to me how many of these articles you read it. And it's like, okay. I mean, does, does anybody read anything? Does anybody pay attention to anything? I mean, the, these articles are written and some of these, they just act like they are just, man, we are just giving you some profound information and it's just, it's drivel. It's just complete drivel. Now this article that I'm referring to was not, it was not drivel. I didn't hang on every word, but you know, a client, he came, he comes into the guy's office. He's pretty anxious about working toward retirement. And he, he asked a question, which is frankly, a, a good question. He wants the financial advisor. He wants this person that's helping him. I think, I think the guy was a CFP, a certified financial planner. And he wants, he wants this guy to give him, do you have any examples of people who are, who are really happy in retirement and being a somewhat experienced CFP? Uh, he did. He had some examples uh, of people and they were at different ages. The, there was a, a man who was in his eighties. There was a woman who was in her fifties. Uh, she was a widower. Uh, somebody was a golfer. Somebody had been in the field of education, you know, so these were people that came from different areas of life. And he, he was appropriately commenting that, you know, there were some universal, he, he had found among his clients, some universal truths. There were some themes that seemed to have emerged. Now you could probably predict what these would be. I mean, right up at the top of the list health. I mean, if, if we don't have that, then okay, all bets are off. So these were people who they were happy in retirement because not only had they taken care of themselves, but they had also had the genetic predisposition to enjoy some good health. And that obviously that made a difference. They all had a degree of discipline. They all had a degree of patience and temperance and self-control in not only their investing, but particularly in their spending. And certainly some had earned more than others. And in spite of the fact that I believe the, the widower, uh, was it a widow or a widower? I was thinking that it was a widow, but I could be, now that I think about it, it seems like it was a man and his wife died and she had had cancer. So here was a man that while he had his own health, he had dramatically been impacted because of his wife's poor health and his wife's passing. 
but he he had spent time preparing. He had spent time developing. Here was the other thing: developing interests in things. These weren't people who just sat, kicked back and said, "Yep, yeah, I'm good." Call it a day, and no longer have any significance in their life. Most of these kinds of things are things that if we just stopped for 10 minutes and gave, gave it some contemplation, we, we could certainly answer the question, what does it take to be happy in retirement? I would argue it turns out it's probably not going to be much different than what it's going to take in non-retirement. And so I began to really fixate on the self-control part of it. Now, the New Testament is largely themed, at least on our part as humans, self-denial. The Lord repeatedly, as he recruited the apostles, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And that cross that he wanted them to take up was not the crucifixion cross, but the burden of denying yourself. And yet modern culture and social media would have us believe that is the path to happiness. Happiness is going to be found in you being able to do anything and everything that you want to do. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. You do what you want to do. That's where happiness is found. And yet nothing in scripture and nothing in, in real world examples proves that that is true. Quite the opposite seems to be the case, and that's, that's interesting. That when we do deny ourselves, when we restrict ourselves, when we discipline ourselves, there's a far greater, far greater opportunity for happiness, peace, contentment, joy, fill in the blank, when you behave with that as opposed to, I'm going to do anything I want to do. It certainly is true. You're going to serve somebody. And it doesn't seem to me that there is any evidence at all that when we serve ourselves, that that's a path to anything other than bad things, really, really bad things happening. So I read this article and I start thinking about these kinds of things and I start thinking about anxiety and I have a lot of conversations every week, uh, professionally. Well, not all of them are professional, uh, but with people that are going through things, sometimes they're going through professional things. Sometimes they're going through personal things, but going through things. Well, we all are going through things. And I am particularly fixated these days on people in their thirties and forties who are going through things and really having a hard time of it, really, really struggling with it. And I learned a long time ago there's just a distinct difference between that demographic and my demographic. There's a different viewpoint. I'm not throwing rocks and I'm not judging it. It's neither here nor there. It's just different. But knowing those differences really matters. There are old heads that will argue, well, we're soft. Now, anybody that thinks that we're not soft is crazy because we're soft and we're getting softer all the time. But I got a news flash for you. Compared to my grandparents, compared to my great-grandparents, I'm incredibly soft. And so defining softness might be required. 
And it largely is our tolerance for things, our ability to fend things off. I could certainly argue that given my age, I can fend off some things simply because of age and experience. I don't think it's so much a demographic thing in that regard as it is just years of wear and tear and years of having gone through it and years of seeing it over and over and over and over and realizing, you know, this is no big deal. Or then seeing other things and realizing, you know, this is a big deal. However, there's no point in me getting too wrapped up about it because there's not much I can do about it. Then there are other things that I'm completely intolerant of. Take something as mundane as air conditioning. Take something as mundane as refrigeration. What my grandparents grew up experiencing, and certainly my great-grandparents, who likely didn't experience it, largely, air conditioning in houses, air conditioning in cars. And I'm talking Oklahoma, Texas, Louisiana. I'm talking about this part of America. You know, wood-burning stoves. Heating a house because you need, you need to have a fire going. I have no concept of that. I mean, zero, I have zero concept of that. So does that make me soft? Yeah, but society changed. Technology changed. I'm sure there were people in the horse and buggy days that when the cars were invented really struggled with these, these newfangled things, but there's no going back. Is it soft? Is it adaptability? Probably both. It's probably both adapting to the technology necessarily can make us somewhat soft, but let's get back to, let's bring this back to the center focus here of self-discipline and let's look at it from both sides. Self-discipline being the things that you deny yourself doing that you really would like to do. And at the same time, another part of that softness that you hear about doing those things that you know are good, that you know are right, that you know are profitable for you and for others, but you really don't want to do them, but you do them anyway. There's that one big coin in our life, and there's those two sides of that coin. There is the denying ourselves the very thing that we really would like to do and then doing those things that we really don't want to do, but both are profitable. And when you combine them together, few things in human activity are more profitable and whether a person is going to retire or they're planning to retire the self-discipline to deprive ourselves of things that we might want today, but might drive up our debt might impede our ability to save or to invest for tomorrow. And then are doing those things that we really don't want to do, which largely is that self-deprecate deprivation kind of thing. You know, well, I, I want, I want that. I, I want that right now. Okay. Well, it's not good for you. So ditch that. Well, I really don't, I don't want to put, I don't want to put more money. I don't want to put 5% more in my IRA. Okay. We'll do that anyway, because it's, it's good for you. It's the right thing to do. These are really difficult habits. Have you seen this t-shirt? Uh, you can't help but laugh. It's only an addiction if you're trying to quit. <laughs> I mean, so many of us, thats we're living our lives that way when it comes to 
not just finances and not just retirement, not just investing and not just financial or money matters, but just in every area of life. It's not an addiction unless you're trying to quit. And so many of us, we're just, we're not trying to quit. Translation is we're really not trying to get better. We're really not trying to improve. We're really not trying to grow. Meanwhile, the whole universe is preaching to us. You want to be happy, don't you? Yeah, you want to be happy. Then do what you want to do. Don't worry about anybody else. Insert, insert the F-bomb right here, by the way. I've said this before. Is it just me? I, I see in social media, I, I, the F-bomb is pronounced. I don't mean F with a couple of asterisks and then, you know, the K at the, I mean, the, the word spelled out, the word spoken out video, video, audio, written text. It's, it, it has proliferated. It has proliferated the world. I'm not prudish, but yes, it's offensive. It's like, okay, enough already enough already i mean we've got the book titles we've got videos entitled we've got t-shirts i see it i see it i see it i see it and no i don't i i mean other than just abandoning platforms completely i don't know how you'd i don't know how you'd get away with it uh, or get away from it but we we certainly don't have the discipline with language that's for sure. We don't have the discipline with an opinion. I frequently, frequently have this conversation about the purpose of communication. And I came to this conclusion many, many years ago that for many of us, when it comes to self-discipline and particularly with communication, so many of us, we don't have any discipline with that because we've really only got one agenda. And that agenda is to make sure that you know how I feel about it. Oh, I don't care how you feel about it. I'm not interested in how you feel about it, but it's really important to me to make sure that you know how I feel about it. Insert whatever, whatever wrangling you want to insert here, because we are trying our best to just make sure everybody understands where we stand on it and what our opinion is. And oh, by the way, bring up anything you want. Cause I'm going to have an opinion about it. Are you like me? Are there some things that you really just, that you don't have an opinion about? Are there so many things that if you're like me, I don't know enough to have an opinion about it. And I'm not saying it's unimportant, but to me, it's kind of unimportant. I don't care. And if I don't care, then I haven't likely looked into it deeply enough to probably even have an intelligent conversation with you, much less to expound an opinion that maybe I have formed because I'm frankly uninformed. I could even be misinformed. I just don't care. It just doesn't matter to me. Then we've got these people that we encounter in our life and it doesn't matter. Bring up anything under the sun. They have an opinion. They're going to let you know what that opinion is. And you're sitting there thinking, man, well, I mean, where's the time for life? <laughs> Is there any time for living here? It's like, I just don't have that many opinions and maybe I'm just an idiot. Don't answer that. <laughs> I probably am. 
So this article, I thought it was a good approach, though. I thought it was a valid point that speaks to this whole notion of self-discipline. And the context, obviously, was preparing for retirement. And clearly, happiness and anxiousness, while these are universal things, they are not universally defined. I mean, I know some people that they're only happy when they're unhappy. You know people like this. Ask them how to define happiness, and they would struggle to do it. Somebody else who's just, they're just wanting some peace and tranquility. But then another person just absolutely loves chaos and mayhem. Well, they're not looking, they're not looking through life. They're not looking through the lens the same way at life. It's very different for both of them. Some of the universal things, though, that have to do with our own self-discipline and our own willingness to surrender ourselves and to have a focus on others stems, I think, very largely on our ability to discipline ourselves and to deprive ourselves. Can you, can you get in the back seat and can you stay there? Or is it really important to you that you are not only in the front seat, but you have to be behind the wheel. And if you're not behind the wheel, you're miserable. Or if you're not behind the wheel, then you just feel like that's where I belong. I mean, there is that entitlement that so many people feel I deserve to be behind that wheel. Never mind that there may be three other people in the car, all of whom are eminently more qualified and experienced to be behind the wheel, but we just can't deprive our ego of it. We just can't seem to help ourselves. I posted over, I don't know where I posted it. I may have posted over at Instagram. I'm not real sure, but I posted it somewhere and it was a quote by T.S. Eliot. Most of the trouble in the world is caused by people wanting to be important. Most of the trouble in the world is caused by people wanting to be important. He's, he was completely correct. That has been my experience. The conflict that I have seen, the trouble that I have seen is because somebody wanted to get their head higher than somebody else. Position, honor, fame, adulation, pick your poison. They wanted more of it. They had a view of themselves. They had a self-importance that they refused to overcome. No self-control when it came to their own ego. They are the most important person on the planet. Oh, they would never tell you that, but all, you'd, all we have to do is watch behavior, and you can see it. You can see people who are not willing to submit in a conversation circle, people who are not willing to submit in work, people who are not willing to submit or acquiesce at home. You see it in every phase of your life. Discipline, self-discipline, fosters self-awareness. Chicken and egg. You can argue till the cows come home what you think comes first. Is it self-awareness that comes first or is it self-discipline that comes first? I'm going to argue that it's self-discipline that comes first. That if we can just make up our mind that we are going to deprive ourselves, that we are not going to think ourselves the most important person in the planet, 
We're not going to think of ourselves as the smartest person in the room, but we're going to behave in ways where we show that we value other people. And when we are kind and considerate, I think it fosters our ability to see ourselves more accurately and to know those things that we need to work on, to know those things that we need to deprive ourselves of because these are particularly vexing things for us. I think we learn, yes, that may be an addiction. That may be some predilection for bad behavior. And I need to stop that. I need to curb that. I need to stop that altogether. I need to fix that. I need to work on that. But I believe that self-awareness comes from first making up our mind that we're going to behave in a way that good humans behave. We're not going to do everything that we want to do, and we're going to do some things that we know we really don't want to do, but we know they're good. They're good things to do. They're smart. They're wise. They're prudent. They're whatever. But they're positive things that we know we should do. And if we can make those two things habitual, man, don't you just, how how can you not believe that that would be that would be an ability to make ourselves exemplary. So when somebody says, you know, what do you, what, what's a good example of somebody who retired happy? What's a good example of somebody that you think is kind of living their best life? Wouldn't you hope, wouldn't you hope to be the example for that? These are difficult things. If they were easy, everybody would do them. And in a day and age where everybody seems to be fixated on how can I stand out? How can I be special? Well, newsflash, you are special because there's only one of you. Another newsflash is you're not so special because you're human and we all have these problems. We're all vexed by various and sundry things. None of this is easy for all of us. Doesn't mean our problems are identical, but generically speaking, they are pretty universal. And the good feeling that we get and the positive impact that we can have knowing that we have deprived ourselves of something that was not good for us, not good for anybody around us, not good for our present, not good for our future. That's another thing that's worth some conversation somewhere down the line, and that is all this preparation for the future. I talked about it last week. You're not going to be remembered any differently than for what you are thought of right now, and so the present really, really matters. The best way to prepare for tomorrow and the future is today. Put in the work today. Deprive yourself of the things that you know you should deprive yourself of today. Lean into those things that you really don't want to do, but you do them anyway because that's the right thing to do and it's beneficial for you today. Newsflash, it will compound and it will be even more valuable for you in the future. LeaningTowardWisdom.com is the website. 
Randy Cantrell's my name. Version 3.1. Yeah, that's where we're at. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. <laughs>